Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Tonight, we're dedicating tonight's show to one issue, and that issue is the overrepresentation of Aboriginal kids in custody, whether it be youth detention, out-of-home care, or incredibly remand. So tonight, we'll have the Commissioner for Aboriginal Children and Young People, Justin Muhammad, on the show. You may recall, previously, we've had conversations with Justin on, on a range of matters related to his portfolio area. And in each one of those conversations, we have made mention of the inquiry the Commission was conducting and has conducted over the past three years. Initially, it was supposed to be two years, but of course, COVID blew everything out of the water. So that inquiry is now over and the final report entitled Our Youth, Our Way was tabled in Parliament last week and it contains 41 findings and some 75 recommendations. Obviously, we can't go into everything with a fine tooth comb. But we can hopefully have what will be a, an illuminating discussion and a, a bit of a deep dive into some of the issues that have resulted in this ongoing crisis. And we can have a discussion about what we can collectively do as a society. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. And now to tonight's one and only guest. There's been a lot of news about recently, as I mentioned at the top of the show, with COVID, the devastating storms that have torn across Victoria last week and are continuing to, to wreak havoc with people's uh, power supplies and access to water. And of course, there's the, the uh, disgust around the Morrison government's continued treatment of that Sri Lankan family, all in our name in the guise of border protect, protection. So while there's justifiable outrage over the treatment of the Moragaban family, there continues to be less outrage over the treatment of Aboriginal families at the hands of government systems in this state every night of the week. Now, last week, Victoria's Commission for Aboriginal Children and Young People released uh, the report, Our Youth, Our Way. The report is the result of a three-year independent inquiry that involves statewide consultations with Aboriginal children and young families, families more broadly, communities and the agencies involved with youth offending to look at solutions to the youth justice crisis in this state. Uh, here to talk us through some of the report's findings is uh, Victoria's Commissioner for Aboriginal Children and Young People, Justin Muhammad. Now, Justin is a friend of the show and he's a also, more importantly, a gurung man. And uh, he's joining us now live with um, his headphones on so we can have a, a good conversation. <laughs> Justin, welcome back to the mission. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Um, look, I read, you know, I've done a fair bit of research in, into this, but I read during the week, Justin, that one of your first jobs was as a Koori juvenile justice worker some 30 years ago. Um, you spent a lot of time working in various areas since then, but the last few years in particular as the Commissioner. Um, have you seen much change over the past 30 years in this space? Yeah, look, I mean, in this space I have. I mean, there's the Koori Courts. There's a lot more interaction now with the um, Victorian Police. We see um, the Department of Justice. There's so many more um, you know, Aboriginal um, 
Curry used to, oh, Curry used workers out there. Um, when I started, there was only three in the state. Now, uh, I can't, I can't number the numbers that, that there are, but every, nearly every community has got at least one, maybe two, three. Um, so we've seen that there is a, some really big steps forward. But the thing which really struck me is that my role that I had 30 years ago, which is a long time now, but my, part of my role was to go into homes, talk to young people that were about, before they had to go to court and find out some background about the young person, speak to them directly and then to their carers or to their parents. And um, this time around, when I went around speaking with two young people and also the community, the thing that really sh- well, shocked me, it surprised me that similar things that young people were saying 30 years ago, have been, uh, that the young people of today are also saying the same thing. So in many ways, it hasn't gone as far forward as we would have all hoped. But there is really there are some good signs out there. But in the end of the day... Um, the young people that are living it and breathing it are the ones who, um, you know, are expressing if it is working or not working. And this report shows there needs to be a long... There's a lot of improvement to come. Let's, let's turn to the report now. Um, give, us a, give us a refresher on the, the, the consultation process that was involved in putting the report together. Yeah, so we had the report. It was, um, this report was a recommendation to come into a task force 1,000-type um, inquiry into the over-representation of Aboriginal young people in the youth justice system here in Victoria. And what, the way we thought we'd do this was obviously get out to the communities, um, speak to young people. We spoke to 93 individual young people, the young people who were part of the youth justice system either currently or previously. We spoke to... Uh, we went to 13 to 16 different regions, communities, doing um, regional workshops, speaking to the Aboriginal community control organisations, many of the elders or um, carers of young people in these communities to really get a good understanding of what the community is saying, what the young people are saying, and, and weighing that up against what the data is saying and the, and the general research on this matter. And then that's how the report and then was formed together with a lot of um, weighing up to make sure that the voice of young people was definitely going to be heard in this report and, sh- and seen in a way that was going to be able to be actioned in a practical way um, which will benefit them in the future. Now, the report has 41 um, findings and some 75 uh, recommendations. Let's get into some of those. Um, I guess the central theme, Justin, that um, is the thread throughout the report itself is that um, self-determination is at the heart of addressing some of these issues and, and putting Aboriginal people in control of their own destinies. Yeah, that's right, Daniel. We, well, I mean, when we started this, we, we knew to address over-representation, it was going to be more than just making um, a youth justice centre more culturally, you know, safe. It was going to take more than just changing... Um, having a few activities, but we have to really look at the whole structure. And what we found is that Aboriginal culture, the value of Aboriginal people and what we bring to society, it wasn't embedded into supporting the young people through these times. It was kind of an add-on at the best. Mm -hmm. And what we try to do with this report is bringing it back in the right order, and that's having culture, community, having the voice of um, our mob in the middle of it and then building it from the um, from that, building onto it. And and delving into the um, the strength of the young person, um, not, not so much their deficits or what they did wrong, but let's have a look at that young person and what strengths they've got and build on those. So out of all that, 
the report has really kind of captured, okay, there is plenty of things in the report that we can say around housing and health and child protection and education and attending school and getting those things right, how um, young people are going through the, the, the um, justice system itself. But what we've also said is how do we keep young people out of the youth justice system because that's the best that's the best scenario. And if they do come into the youth justice system, how do they proceed, proceed through that and don't return back in? And that, that's where we see that the self-determinating factor of giving some of these youth justice responsibilities back to community and having programs based on country in, in the young person's um, community is the best way forward, and that's what we've done throughout this report. And so self-determination features strongly, obviously um, making sure that the young people are connected and have access to culture, country, getting their family you know, connection really strong. And, um, and to build them so they, they've got the resilience to move on and move, move out of the justice system and to live a life which they can meet, you know, meet their aspirations. Now, one of the things that we need to do to equip communities and families um, to go forward with the self-determination is good data. And one of the things that um, the, the report found is that there wasn't really a centralised data collection point um, around all these issues. And so the, the approach and the monitoring of some of these numbers and statistics has been fragmented. Yeah, well, one of the things that really... Um, part of the work that we did early in the piece when we were going with communities, when we went to regions, we, we asked every region to um, bring, bring forward their probably their most um, complex cases of young people that are in the youth justice system that they were really struggling with. And we sat down... And we sat down with all the different service providers and we went through that, that, those files and um, what was kind of presented and trying to work out a, 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 an action plan that can support and provide the project protection for that young person. What we found when we were collecting this data is that the data from all the different departments, if it's from health or child protection or education, youth justice, justice they didn't quite line up or there wasn't a lot that you could get your hands on. So... Sometimes, and this is just a little bit of the experience that we had, like we'd walk into talk to sit down to unpack a young person's life who's maybe who, who in some instances has been part of some form of the government system if it's child protection or youth justice um, and child protection from an early age of, say, one or two years of age and now in the youth justice system at 14, 15, so many years in the system. And we, we really couldn't put our hands on some really substantial data information about that young person that could help build their life but we found that walking with reams of paper of all the things that the young person's done wrong but not about their health about mm. their their background what, what happened to them and and their aspirations um, and that was something which was really concerning obviously one of the reports about getting that that system that information about the young person a lot, lot stronger across the different departments. You point to a model that, you, and you actually refer a couple of times to models in, in from New Zealand, and one of those models is the um, Kapiti Youth Support Outcomes Measurement Model from, from New Zealand, and you um, recommend that an Aboriginal organisation should pilot that model. What is it about that model that, that works over there that's not working here? Well, the model over there, um, and, uh, look, the, the, the strange thing is with New Zealand, and this is what people probably need to realise in Victoria, New Zealand, and they, they say this, I mean, about 15 years ago, they came to Victoria to learn about the Victorian um, youth justice um, system because it was 
in a far better state than their system. Oh. So they came over, took everything they got out, went back, probably improved it, <laughs> and um, now we're going over there because our system here hasn't progressed the way it should, the way it should have done. So the, the, these sorts of centres are really like one-stop shops. It's really, I mean, it caters for a whole range of things for the young person. It's designed for young people wholeheartedly. Um, and it's not just for one part of the young person's life, but the whole the whole part of their life, and um, in all different ages, and has a lot of. And we went and visited one of these centres over there, and it was it was remarkable just seeing young people going through it. Anything from young mums to um, you know young men who are you know just still finding their way, if it was trying to find their links back to culture, if it was about getting their health assessments done properly, about getting them back into education. Their, um, you know, their mental health and spiritual health well-being, um, practical skills around just living and budgeting. This was all done in these um, particular hubs or centres, and that's something which we think we know we've got really good community control organisations um, right across the state, um, and it's about expanding that and giving them the resources to, 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 to roll those sorts or having those sorts of hubs there for young people that it's theirs and, and it's, it's, um, it's set up to meet their needs or what they needed at that time. And that was something which we saw in practice over there which seemed to seemed to work. It gave them a place, a home away from home, that safe place, all these things that we heard from young people when they get in a spot of bother, they find themselves with nowhere to go to. Because you're absolutely right. We already, we already have the Aboriginal community-controlled sector here in Victoria and, it, and it's one of the you know strongest sectors um, there is in relation to health and welfare matters in this state, and they already act as hubs to a large extent. So it would be a, just a, a, I guess, a, a case of applying that model and equipping, um, you know, probably one of the major achos with the ability to, to tailor to this particular problem. Yeah, it, it is about that. It, it's also about making sure that these hubs are really... Um, I've got the expertise to work with young people with very complex issues. I mean, there's, I mean, we, we spoke to a number of young people um, in, when we went around when we you know, did the regions and we're talking to people. And yeah, young young people at the age of 13, 14, who we didn't ask them about it, but they, they disclosed to us when we were talking with them one on one that they had a drug problem. But well, they had nowhere to go to because there wasn't any services available for young people of that age and or young people who are looking to deal with some of their issues that they've got at hand but they didn't know where to go to. All the services just weren't um, appropriate, weren't culturally appropriate, weren't age appropriate um, and gender appropriate. So there's a whole range of these things which I think we can expand on what we've done in health or we've done in a number of other areas with um, in Aboriginal you know, the, the Aboriginal organisations, but having this youth-focused area um, would be something which I think um, is, is needed and would just um, provide that extra dimension to what we've already got, but, you know, something that young people can go to and feel very safe and um, protected and they can, you know, work through their the, the issues that they may have at the time. Um, one of the findings from the report, um, and the report pulls no, no punches here, um, it... it it articulated that the, the youth justice system is bent towards punitive responses for um, offending behaviour rather than early intervention strategies. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the way the Australian justice system for all young people, um, it, it is really... Um, it's, it, 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 it puts young people on a very slippery slope once they become 
in contact with, with the law. And when we say the law, the police, what options do, do, do the police have? It's very minimal. And then before you know it, and especially if young people come from child protection or in residential places, um, there is very little um, spots for them to go if they do do things that are, you know, obviously bring attention to the law, they, they, they'll find themselves, in most cases, remanded and put in a youth justice centre. So what we've caught in this report is that we've got to change the way we think. We've got to really up the ante. And one of the things which is not just here in Victoria, but right across Australia, there's been a really big push and a call to raise the age of criminal responsibility from 10 to 14. And again, Australia is one of the, one, one of the countries um, in, in the world that we've got such a, such a low entry level of a, a child as young as 10 years of age can actually be placed in a youth justice centre that can be criminally convicted of something. And um, everyone kind of quickly goes to, Daniel, if I can just elaborate on sure. this, everyone goes to, if you raise the age to 14, what happens about the serious offenders? Well, to be honest, there is very few serious offences you know, that, that, happen, that, that take place for a child as of, of young as 10 up to 14. Most of them are very, very minimal activity of damaging public property, maybe, you know, like um, shoplifting, things of, of a nature which should be able to be handled from within community and not needing to lock someone up and put them in a, a centre and move them away from family and away from community. So... We're saying that if we raise the age to criminal responsibility to 14, the system has to rethink how it deals with young people. And this is the, where we, we don't just say raise the age, but also work on, well, we need to have these other measures and to provide young people with the supports, protection, the care, the love, um, and the nurturing which they need to get through those times. The other area which we've, we've gone another step further than that is in saying that we should also have that no child under the age of 16 yeah. should be placed behind bars, basically. So that comes, um, out, of, and, that comes out of Recommendation 10. So you've got um, the, the Children, Youth and Families Act 2005, the Sentencing Act of 1991 and the Bail Act of 1977 be amended yeah. to prohibit the children under age of 16 being sentenced to or remanded in youth justice custody, uh, children under the age of 18 being sentenced to uh, adult prison, so that should be prohibited, yeah. and the transfer of children under 18 years of age from youth justice custody to an adult prison should also be prohibited. And these are things that are all happening as we, I guess, kind of speak here, Justin. These are things that are happening now here in the so-called progressive state of Victoria, and these are things that are all legal. Um, we spoke before about kids on, on remand and, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old spending three weeks of their life at that age can set them on a completely different course or set them on a wrong path um, down towards, I guess, a life of uh, offending, um, criminality, if you want to call it that. Um, it's really, really important. This is one of the, the, the big takeouts from this report is the hashtag raise the age movement. And this is where we need to see some, some urgent movement because we're losing potentially generations of young people who are removed from their culture and removed from their families and sent on a life course that is not the one that they should be going down. Yeah, look, I mean, that's what we've really pushed hard in this report. And it's only, not only in this part, because we know it's going to take a whole lot of... That's why there's 75 recommendations yeah. to ensure that a young person, one, at the best-case scenario, never enters the justice system. But we do know young people will do things which will bring attention. We, we all, we've all been there. 
Um, and I'm sure many of us that are listening to that tonight, and uh, myself included, sometimes you look back and go, "I was just lucky that I did what you know. I didn't get the police were involved, or I didn't kind of um, get put in that situation because who knows?" But we do know the facts. The facts are that when young people are placed in youth justice in the system at all, but let alone being remanded and placed in a youth justice centre in custody of some format, that there's a high like there's a high rate of chance that they'll return back in there. So this doesn't prevent young people from reoffending. This actually goes the other way. So we've had this system in place for decades and decades where it comes down on on young people very hard, and all it does is make them actually a high risk of reoffending and going back into the system. So we're saying we've got to break this cycle. We've got to reimagine what youth justice looks like. And we see a young person and maybe what they're doing, that we've got to look at alternative things to do because the system that we've got now, it hasn't worked because we know that over 60% of young people that are in the youth justice system have re-offended, have offended before. So they're back in there in some format. And if, they get, um, if they're on remand or if they do get sentenced um, into the custody, it even increases even furthermore um, than that. And the other, the other interesting factor around the research that was that we pulled in, is then their life. Then when they move into the adult, into adult life, the chances of them being a part of the adult justice system also multiplies at, you know, extremely high rates. So, it, the system doesn't work in plain and simple facts. And we've got to do better at it. We've got to think more um, constructively. And we are a progressive state, Daniel. You just mentioned. Mm. mentioned so I can't see why we can't be the leader of this for Australia because every state's struggling with it and I think we've got a good opportunity with the climate, the way it is now with government, that we can take some pretty bold moves and change the system, which should that has basically hasn't had much change in the structure of it for 50 years. Now, that leads us back to the kind of support that is needed for, for some of these kids that find themselves in this situation. That leads us back to family, community and, and culture. One of the recommendations that I really uh, thought was, you know, really clever and, and quite groundbreaking was the idea of expanding the definition of family for Aboriginal children and young people and all practice guidelines, um, including instructions and procedures that um, uh, include extended family as part of the family and the, the, the broader Aboriginal community as being considered part of the family for um for some of these kids. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, look, I mean, this is just the way the mob works. <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. like... Exactly. And, 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 yeah, you hear about... I don't want to talk about the old days, but, you know, if you messed up somewhere or you were, you, you, you were caught in a, you know, a space where you needed a bit of a helping hand, the community would, would, help, would help out, would act as a parent for... It might be an hour, it may be for weeks, it could be for months. Um, and we also realise that a number of our young people in the youth justice system, unfortunately, are part of the child protection system. So they don't have the mum or dad at, or, or that, that home environment. They're, they're in care of somebody else. They are in residential care. They sometimes maybe even completely removed from their immediate family. So to, to be, I mean, it, it just had to happen. We had to make sure that when we say family, family was broader than the context that westernised uh, thinking around it. it, it was extended family. It was community. It was an organisation. It was, you know, the youth groups that young people are involved in. It, it, it could mean a number of things. And um, 
what we heard from young people is that they are looking, and most of them that we spoke to when we said a simple thing like this, um, I, I asked a number of them, if, we could, if, any, if you could wish for anything, what would it be? And most of them responded in some of the simplest, the simplistic things which we take for every day, like a safe bed to sleep in at night, um, someone who I can call upon when I'm in a bit of need, someone who cares for me, so, you know, a place where I can, a person I can kind of trust. So, you know, that the expansion of family and, and, and being a part of young people could mean many things too. And sometimes it may be the, you know, the, the footy coach or the, you know, the, the, um, the friend down the road or extended family member. Um, but, you know, we definitely had to work on this to make sure that it fits. You know, the age, the, the group that we're talking about needs that sort of support and they want to be part of the community and that's what... You know, I think we do very well. We just got to make sure it's written in the um, in the structure again that we it, it values Aboriginal family and what we our, our definition of family and extended family. Yeah, if I think over you know the course of my time on, on the planet and the amount of people that have you know Aboriginal people that have been saved by their own mob, but not by their direct family, but by the extended community who have got people out of crisis and provided support. Uh, no matter what the situation has been, um, if the system can start to recognise that, then we're going a long way in the, in the right direction. But another thing that the report picks up in one of its findings, Justin, is that um, it, the youth, youth justice system isn't geared at all to recognising that some of these um, uh, youths, young people and kids in, in, in custody are actually carers themselves. And um, in some cases, they're, they're parents or they're carers. And the fact that they're in custody is another thing that can keep that thing called intergenerational trauma rolling along throughout the generations. Yeah, well, the, the report, um, definitely we saw that on our journeys. Um, and uh, the young people that are you know, involved in the system, many of them have um, younger siblings. Some of them have their own children. Um, which they, you know, def- desperately want to stay connected with, and it really does um, gives them, you know, it stresses them when they are removed from from their family. And sometimes it might be the only family that they've got, or they mm. feel that they have. Um, and you know, the system really needs to acknowledge that. And um, this report is saying that, you know, we've got to acknowledge the trauma that young people have gone through before they even come into a justice system. And, um, and also their responsibilities they have. And, uh, you know, we've heard um, young people that are, you know, that get moved into custody and, uh, and they're really worried about their grandmother or their, you know, or, or their elder which they're living with or their younger brothers and sisters where they don't maybe not know, know where they are. And I think we can do better at that, definitely. We can communicate that better and with technology especially, keep young people connected and um, with, the, with their loved ones. Um, because a lot of that is um, some of the you know, stresses they carry and um, the trigger points when they feel they are losing touch and they don't have that connection or losing that connection with the few, the few that they can call their family and they want to make sure that they aren't going to be in um, danger and it's difficult for them when they're kind of moved away in that justice setting and um, their family, you know, they, they haven't got that, like, they lose that contact. I just want to move now to the idea of, um, I guess, the, the system itself and the, the judicial system, the judicial aspect of this. 
Uh, one of the recommendations you've, you've basically suggested that when uh, judicial officers are considering um, sentencing, that there should basically be a lens over which they consider sentencing when it comes to Aboriginal youth and, and children, and that is taking into account things like systemic racism, increased disadvantage and post-colonial and intergenerational trauma experienced by Aboriginal children and young people, including any culturally appropriate responses that have worsened the effects of, of the trauma. So, you, so one of the things you want to do is you want the Victorian government to legislate to make sure that judicial officers, when they are going to sentence any Aboriginal kid, start thinking about those issues and apply that as uh, apply that as a way or a part of their thinking before they sentence some of these kids. Yeah, well, uh, I think we've got the structure for it. Um, but the Koori courts have been a, a major improvement yeah. in this, so there's a good a good structure for this to happen. But we need to have it right through the whole process of a young person when they, as soon as they come in contact with the justice system, not just until they get to court. Um, and, you know, the, the reason we've gone down this line because we know these statistics haven't changed enough. There's been over-representative... We've been over-represented in this area forever. Um, the adult system is just as worse, um, just, just as bad. So we're saying, well, what can we do to break this cycle? And the, there is no... It, it doesn't work just looking at the young person and, and what the offence that they've had without taking in the, the full story, and that's what we're trying to say here. And this is not just the... The, the young person's own family, but the extended family, the trauma that family may have gone through, the areas around systemic racism which may have contributed to it, as well as the disadvantage and the inter intergenerational trauma which young people, um, you know, Aboriginal children and young people do, do experience but they've never been given the opportunity to, for that to be considered. And that's where, so we, need the, the, that's where we need to get the data and the... the um the, the integration between systems um, up, and, up and purring like a kitten. So when a kid is presented before, before a court, we have the full picture of what this, what this kid has been through or what this young person has been through and that those factors can then be taken into account when sentencing. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, that's exactly right. And that's what we've kind of really, you know... Well, part of the report's focusing on getting that information together. And it was beautifully said by some of the young people themselves that we, we need to have this net because sometimes we, we, we will stumble or we'll do the wrong thing, but we need a net that we don't just slip straight through mm. and, um, and hit the ground hard. And I think as a youth justice system, we, if we reimagine it, not to be so much of a punishment, but it's like okay, young people, that they may make a wrong decision, they may respond to something spontaneously, and... But we need a system that can actually, you know, grab hold of them, support them, give them the, um, the type of care that they need so they can move out of that period of time and, and, and lead the justice system in a stronger position so they can get on with life and move in an area where they can, you know, reach their, um, their aspirations. They've all got aspirations to move on and not, not keep being in that cycle. But we can't do that by just looking at a system that just, wants to punish bad behaviour without looking at the, the number of things which lead up to that. And this is why we're wanting the whole system to take that in. And um, I'm, I'm pretty sure too, um, Daniel, when we're writing this, I mean, a big part of this, but I think Victoria is really well placed, 
we just heard that they've announced the Yorok, um yes. Truth Justice Commission. This is what we're talking about. There's a whole lot of reasons why young people are coming to attention of the, the, the justice system. There's a whole lot of reasons why young people are in the, in the child protection system. So we've got to understand that before we just kind of make an immediate, you know, assumption or a, or a decision about a young person on a behaviour they may have made in a spare of the moment. There's, there's a number of things which also line up, um, can, can fall behind that. We've got to address that as well. Look, I think while the, the, the journey through the Europe Justice Commission over the next few, year, few years will be a harrowing one at times, I think there's just so many positives that can potentially fall out of it. And, you know, if we start from the basic premise of truth-telling as a principle that we should um, should guide us through addressing some of these problems, then I think the Europe Commission couldn't have come along at a better time. Um, let's talk about... I guess some of the some of the gateways into the youth justice system. Now, one of the gateways, of course, is child protection. And you say in the report that once a kid becomes um, a, a contact with the child protection system, then they basically become um, a, a person of the state, and that the, the, the child protection system itself is a very poor parent. Yeah, well, I mean. Fundamentally, well, what we see with the, what the information tells us is that the majority of the young, Aboriginal young people that are in the youth justice system come from a child protection background. Yeah. And, um, and we know that some, sometimes their offending happens while they're in places like residential centres and they get charged for things which I would say my children wouldn't have got charged for, for damaging, you know, maybe the, the home or doing something where they are maybe, you know, coming home late. Um, and the police will be caught in where most young people that live with their parents, the police wouldn't be caught in those manners. So the child protection system, it'll be, it, 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 it's, it's really under, under a strain. There's so many young people in there. This is not just pointing the finger and saying, well, that's the blame. But when we're talking about who's the parent, who's looking after, who's providing that care and, and ensuring the young person doesn't get engaged with the justice system, this is where we're saying, I'm saying that the child protection area needs to be better at it. Um, our, young, our young people face, you know, it's a sad, it's a sad fact that we, we are very overrepresented in that particular field as well. So we've got to do something about it. Um, we're not going to be able to stop overrepresentation and due justice if we can't provide better child protection services and a a system which is going to be there for young people, you know, in their times of need. Yeah, I guess... So that, that's partly where, where I'm going with it. Um, yeah. The other part is as well is that um, just young people in those, in child protection, if they do the, if they do come in contact and then police are involved, that, many of them don't have anywhere else to go to but to be remanded where many other young people will be bailed back to their homes. This is where young people in child protection, there, there isn't any other facilities or places for them other than a youth justice centre where that should be something we could address. Now, one of the elephants in the room, and um, we'll probably have to finish up soon, Justin, you've been very um, generous with your time, um, but one of the elephants in the room, of course, and it wasn't part of the mandate of the Commission itself, but it was the role of uh, the police, and you, you've, you've come out with some pretty strong recommendations there and one of those recommendations that the Victorian government commission an independent and properly mandated body with specialist knowledge and expertise in relation to children and young people who undertaken an urgent review to 
um, review the experiences of Aboriginal children and young people when they interface with Victoria Police. Now, like I said, it wasn't part of your, your, your man- mandate, but you felt compelled enough to raise it within the report. Um, one of the things that um, you and I would both know, Justin, is that uh, uh, police, quite often, especially in uh, regional areas, are very, very trigger-happy to, I guess, arrest kids and put them in, in detention. And there's other factors, like you just mentioned, that um, there's actually sometimes nowhere else for them to go. But um, it is an area that needs to be addressed, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's pretty hard to talk about justice and uh, um, connection with the youth justice um, you know, system without um, young people talking about police because, you know, there's usually a reason why there's, a, there's some contact in between that. Yeah. Um, our powers didn't allow us to, to delve into that um, and, to, and to put that out there. But, look, a number of young people had spoken. We've got... Within our report, we've got their quotes and their experiences. But also, you know, if we're going to deal with this, there needs to be some transparency, and we've made that pretty clear. We think an independent sort of body or independent review would be something to help improve this very much this interface that we have. And, um, look, I'm not saying that it's all bad, but like everywhere, there needs to be improvement. And... If you just have to listen to some of the stories of young people, we think we, we should be able to do better. And I know that um, Victorian police are looking at ways they can be better at it. And like anything, if we have something that's independent, I think that will go a long way in improving um, the whole range of things around policing and around uh, interaction between young people and the justice system. Look, we've, we've pretty much ran out of time. There's so many other aspects to this report and to this issue that we could talk about, including pathways out of youth detention, um, uh, reformation of the Bail Act. Um, what else could we talk about? We could talk about um, uh, access to mainstream legal services for, um, for yeah. Aboriginal kids as, as well. Um, there's so many issues that we could talk about. It's a very, very, very complicated area. It goes a long way back into our own history and the, the generational trauma that has affected a lot of these issues. Uh, but, Justin, thank you so much for your time. I guess your main role now as Commissioner is to um, move forward and basically prosecute uh, this case. Well, yeah, you, you put the, took the words right out of my mouth, basically. Um, no, the report's been tabled in Parliament. We we're waiting for a response back from government, a formal response, and that's what the process is at the moment. We know that it's a very broad... It's only just one part of government. It's a broad um, parts of different departments, so we're waiting for that to come back. Once we get that, we'll be able to see where we stand and what, what can be progressed immediately and what needs to be continually worked on. But can I finish off on a positive note... Please. Um, Daniel, this, this report, it's a 600-page report, 600-plus pages, 75 recommendations, 41 findings. It sounds a very big mountain to climb, but actually when you break down all the statistics um, around this, the, every percentage that we see of overrepresentation represents a young person. And when you start breaking that down to a young person and where they're from and what region they, do they come from, it may be single digits of two or three from from this part of Victoria, one or two from another area, five or six from, say, you know, uh, another part of Victoria. And if the, these, if the communities, that's what they're saying, if the communities can be given the responsibilities and the, and the support to take, some, take on some of these responsibilities, I think that we can see this over-representation, that we're able to bring it, to have this number, down to parity, if not even better than parity, because the number of young people talking about is 
about less than 300 young people in total, Aboriginal young people, that are in the system only one time across the whole system. And if you start breaking that down into every community, that's not a lot of numbers we're talking about. And some of these young people are repeat offenders because they haven't been given the support. So if we can work with those young people, just stopping those, that young person from re-offending, we're going to see these numbers reduced dramatically. And I reckon the horizon's pretty close. We've just got to be bold enough to get there. And some of these measures that we've put in or recommendations we've placed out there. So this is how we get, out, get this across the line and break the cycle that we've seen in this, in this nation, but in this state for far too long. And it requires us facing some hard truths and, and changing the way we think about some of these issues. And like you said, while the issue is big itself, some of the numbers are small and totally doable. Justin, thank you very much for your time tonight. Thank you, I've really enjoyed it. Um, continue the good work and um, we'll speak again, no doubt. Okay, then. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>